Good morning. My name is Cheryl. I also answer to Cheryl because people in Pittsburgh can't say my name. I I had to move out of town to find out my name was Cheryl. Um, I was in Washington, D.C. going for a job interview, and I'm sitting there reading a book, and they're calling for Cheryl, you know, Randy. And I'm like, I'm not paying any attention because my name isn't Cheryl. And they actually come up to me and tap me on the shoulder, and they said, you're the only one that's not responding. And I said, you were calling me. I never knew that was my name. <laughs> Very strange. Um, but I answer to both. I don't answer to anything else anymore uh, with anybody. But uh, thank you for the privilege of doing this. It, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be asked to speak anywhere, uh, let alone at an anniversary, let alone at a huge conference. Uh, it is terrifying. It never gets any easier. Uh, and when we showed up yesterday, Jack and Carol met us. Now, we did talk on the phone a couple times, and uh, she sent us a card last minute, which she looked like what they were wearing, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, they got two for the price of one. <laughs> they got a BOGO situation. And uh, we pull into the airport as we decided to fly to make it easy on ourselves and probably be cheaper than driving because uh, we figured gas be five bucks a gallon by now. So, and then, you know, I'm old now. I don't want to, I like to drive, but I didn't want to if I didn't have to. So we come in and we go to get our suitcases and lo and behold, mine's there and Mary's isn't. We had seven people on the plane. Five people had suitcases. We don't know where our suitcase. I mean, who would have thunk, okay? So first you get challenged with even accepting and, and coming down, and then all those little things get thrown in your way. Well, this was a big thing, because Mary spoke yesterday. And uh, then we come to the hotel and find out we don't have rooms. Because they moved us across the highway because where they had us, they had plumbing problems. So there was another thing. So the anxiety levels start going up, and I'm praying for Mary to keep breathing. And as I was, well, she lost her suitcase. I had all my stuff. I was in better shape. And uh, we actually discussed, like, sizing women up here and seeing if we could borrow a pair of pants and show you what I mean. Because <laughs> humor is perspective. I had no perspective before I came in here. There was never a difficulty. Everything was a danger. <laughs> wasn't a pro- and I was always ready for it to come out of anywhere. Um, and overreacted to everything. I have a good friend, Priscilla, back in Pittsburgh, and she used to say, before I came to these rooms, I didn't have a life. I had a reaction. <laughs> and that was what I did. Um, anyway, we had a great time yesterday, Jack. They took us to Nick's. If you people haven't been to Nick's by the airport, Oh, their stuff is fabulous. <laughs> we had a great lunch because uh, they took care of us, and, uh, and we hung tight until we got here. And we ended up coming back to the hotel. We did get rooms in the hotel because God takes care of everything. And we had a young man during the day making phone calls to get her stuff, and then we went back and asked. That's another thing I was never allowed to do. You don't ask questions, you know what I mean, in an alcohol cup. Um, you just do what you're told, and then you wait for people to do things. So we went back and got the kid in the evening, and he had to work at it, and they're telling him, we well, have to come pick it up, and he's saying, no, you will deliver it. You know, so God put all these champions, you know, in on us. Mary had her suitcase by midnight, and we didn't lose our minds. We didn't get negative. We didn't get crazy. But when he called, he was called my room by mistake, and he said, I have Mary's suitcase. 
And I said, well, she's in 182. And he said, okay. And then he calls me right back. He says, I'm going to tell her. It's not going to be here until Sunday because it's in California by some freak thing. And I said, oh, do it. She can take it. She's from Pittsburgh. So, so he did. He called, And she was wonderful. And then he brought it down the hall. I heard him up there. We, were, we had been having a great time here with everybody. Um, because that's what life's all about. You know, before recovery, I used to suffer from my insanity. And today, I enjoy it. And that's what makes the difference. You know, I... I have more fun driving to the gas station playing oldies on the radio than most people do going to a party, okay? Um, because life is great. It is a problem-solving situation, I'll tell you that. And things come out of the blue. But um, it's gratitude that changes that. I had no gratitude. Um, and now, for Mary, meeting Mary, when I talked to Carol, it was like six months ago. I don't know how I got here this fast. But six months ago... And I accepted, because I was taught, if you say no, you don't grow. And I didn't get a flyer in the mail till about two months before we were coming. And I'm reading the names, and I see Mary C. And I got so excited, and I called my buddy Joe. I said, Joe, Mary C's going to be there. We're going together. She's my hero. Okay, and I know that makes her uncomfortable. It wouldn't make me uncomfortable. Uh, but back in the day when I was new... You know, you're looking for people to, to learn from, and I had some very special people put in my life, and she's one of them. Went to a meeting at Highland Park. Remember the Highland Park meeting? You were sitting at the head of the table, cute little lady. She had white hair by then. And um, they introduced her, and when she started to speak, the first thing she said was, let's face it, folks, we're all here because we're not all there. <laughs> And I fell in love. I knew this was somebody to pay attention to. Um, and I, just by being herself and doing her homework, she ended up being great for me. I mean, everybody's not for everybody. That's cool. But, uh, but when I knew we were coming down here together, she called me on the phone and she says, uh, I understand we have a date. <laughs> On Jim, I said, yes, we do. Um, and I was thrilled. So we've had a great time even just getting down here and doing everything we need to do. Um, I started out as, uh, I was, I was going to say acceptance. Acceptance is the key. is a fabulous thing. Because acceptance never occurred to me. Um, acceptance of anything except my way of doing things, which I knew were right. And if you would just listen, everything would be okay. Uh, especially me. And um, when I was thinking about it, uh, acceptance is the key to being happy, joyous, and free. And that's what's happened to me. It took a long time. Don't get me wrong. It took a lot of practice. But uh, happiness, joy, and freedom were absolutely not part of my life before I came here. Um, I remember hearing a joke many years ago where they were talking about an Al- We used to be an Al-Anon woman until the guy started, you know, coming in. And so it's an Al-Anon person is drowning. And they watch everybody else's lives pass in front of their face before they go. And I remember when- and it was at a time when I could hear, there were, you know, very few times when I could hear in the beginning. And I remember thinking, I don't want other people's lives passing in front of me. Even if mine only has three or four frames, at least it'll be mine. I mean, I don't know how long I got or what's going to happen. Um, and I started to work on that. Um, I, I am the oldest of four children in my family. Uh, I'm the oldest of 14 grandchildren in 12 years on my dad's side. And my grandfather, my Italian grandfather, dubbed me Queenie. Um, I was born for the job. There's no two ways about that. But all oldest females are. If you're the oldest child and the female, God bless you. 
If you're the oldest female in the family, God bless you. <laughs> because I don't care how many brothers come ahead of you, you're in charge. Uh, you got to take care of business. And I always say, if it wasn't for women, the whole world would fall apart. Just fall apart. I don't care what job you do, the whole world would fall apart. Um, and being the oldest, it, all, it looks good. You get to do things first. You look at, you're in charge. Get the boss people around. Especially if you have two oldest child parents. It was like being in, in the army um, because they knew the right things to do. My mother actually has a book of life. If you give her a call, she'll open it up according to her and tell you what the answer is. Um, so I appreciated that, though. I didn't know I did at the time because it gave me parameters within which to work. If I didn't have that, because I knew what the rules were. I knew how far to go. I knew how far to push. Um, but being the oldest child is like middle management. You get grief from the top. You get grief from the bottom. And they let you know in no uncertain terms it is absolutely your job to make them happy. And if you're not doing it, they clue you in on a regular basis. So I was a hurricane with an E. <laughs> I did mock too most of my life. Um, and it just didn't seem to be that big. I didn't have to work at it because I was born for it. So in the meantime, um, I end up being sent to uh, Catholic school. I used to say my parents paid for us to be tortured. Um, they did without <laughs> so we could be tortured. Um, and you know, and then there was that phase everybody went through that you were a recovering Catholic, you know, and that sort of thing. And I got caught up in that for a minute. But I'll tell you what, try to beat me in a spelling bee. <laughs> Can't be done. Uh, math, son, these people trained me well, educated me well, which has aided me very much uh, in my life. Um, like my daughter, when she's 23, and she'll say, you know, you have issues. And I'll say, and yes, I do. And they're mine. And I'm asking you to please not do that. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Because I do have them. You have yours, I have mine, you stay over there. Um, boundaries is a big thing in my life today. Um, and this family, I call it the family dis-ease. Um, I, I heard all about like the sick, like you're recovering from being sick. I sort of see it like uh, it's trauma. I mean, we're traumatized by this, and we're all basically traumatized in the same way, regardless of whether the situations appear to be different or not. The pain is the same. Um, and I've learned that over the years that I've been here. Um, I'm not different, really, than anybody else. My daughter's going through that, you know, because I'll throw out the adult child side. You know, and she's just not having it <laughs> at this moment. Uh, my friends and I have been discussing what's wrong with these kids in their 20s. I have three of them in their 20s today. They're 21, 23, 26. Thank you, God. Um, I raised them by myself for 20 years. Uh, he left when I was five months pregnant with my third kid. I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and all I wanted to do was die. Um, and it went totally against everything I grew up with because my parents made the commitment. Uh, my dad died right after their 50th wedding anniversary. Um, they were still in love. They were also, I had no alcoholic in my home. That's very important. My I'm an adult child, adult child of grandparents. Um, and that was much more difficult to get a hold on. I remember when I started going to uh, Eleanor Adult Tour many years ago, I was, I was like jealous that I didn't have an alcoholic parent. Because, okay, well, we're, I guess we're not all there. But I, um, and that was because the focus was on me being the oldest. Everything was my fault. Whether it was my younger brothers and sisters' behavior, I didn't give the right example. I wasn't good enough. And I'm going to tell you what, perfect, 
I did perfect, better than anybody you know. And in the game of alcoholism, even with two adult children, parents who are trying to be perfect and make it perfect because their homes were so bad, uh, the levels of expectations were very high, I learned how to jump up over where the hoop might go. <laughs> because I never knew how high it would be. They changed the rules every day, changed the game. Um, and I was expected to be an excellent student and all that sort of thing. I uh, was a rescuer and a pe people pleaser, absolutely, and a rescuer at a very early age. Uh, I want you to know I burned my cape and tights many years ago. Uh, you couldn't pay me to run your life today. Okay. Although I used to do a great job. That's why people used to come and knock on my door. Um, I was told in here I had a God sign over my door. I had no idea because he was my God. And I didn't know that until people talked about it in these rooms. So it was pretty crazy. Um, I went to school. I had a nun who tortured me. Um, I still have nun flashbacks every once in a while. I was in, I was in a, the Giant Eagle in, in Pittsburgh one day, and I heard the rosary beads in the next aisle. This was probably like 15 years ago. And I froze. <laughs> I absolutely froze. And I was waiting to see what direction they were going in so I could run the other way and wouldn't run into her. You know what I mean? Um, and those kind of things used to freak me out. But it was real. The trauma was real. Uh, but I do remember, even at six years old, um, I had an attitude. I didn't put it out there too often. But I decided that if she was, she used to yank my pigtails, I'd hear, you know, down to my waist. And I decided that if I was going to tell her I didn't do my homework, I couldn't lie, so I threw it down a sword before I got there. And I got in trouble, but it made her crazy, and I liked that. <laughs> I didn't have that kind of fire at home. So well, I didn't do it too often, but at some point, uh, as they do, really, they start training you at a very early age uh, to go to the nunhood. And uh, I was going to be a nun. I met a nun in seventh grade who was so happy. <laughs> she glowed like she had it. And I decided that's what I needed to do. She used to joke about 90 yards of material, you know what I mean, in the summer. And I'm over there cleaning the convent and doing <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't just going to be a nun, though. I was going to be a medical missionary nun and go and turn a third world country around. You know what I mean? It had to be big uh, to balance me out. So, uh, anyway, I did end up getting up into medical stuff, and of course, they told me I should be a nurse, and that's, you know, I ended up doing that too. But uh, I got the, ch the chance to go to public high school, and I'm not sure why it changed my life, because I went from being in a bubble to being in the real world. I went from a school with four, I think it was 400 kids in eight grades, to a public high school that had 3,200 kids in sixth grades. I used to just stand in the doorway <laughs> and wait for them to all run down the hall before I went to class. And they would say, oh, you're from a Catholic school. Yeah. I was always in the A group and I did everything right, followed the rules. Oh, I was so obedient. Um, but when I came in here, everything was so different than what I was obedient to. I wasn't sure I was going to go for that. I ended up going to nursing school, and I only sent away to one. That's that, that part that used to come up to let people know she didn't want to do what, she wanted, what they wanted her to do. And um, they accepted me because I was always an excellent student, graduated with time. I'm a, I'm a school person. And uh, that's where I met Mr. Wonderful, um, who absolutely today from the bottom of my soul, I am incredibly grateful that I met this man because he's the reason I am where I am today. There was a guy at a conference one time. His wife couldn't come with him. And he said, when I was leaving, my wife waved. And she said, well, she's in a, she says, remember, you'd be nothing without me. <laughs> And it was great uh, because I also heard that like anybody can go into AA, 
that to get into Al-Anon, you have to know somebody. And, and that's a somebody you'd rather not know at the time. You know, I guarantee you that. But um, because of him and his brother got him into AA. So see, God knew he needed to get me here uh, so that, if nothing else, my kids could have a better life and a better shot uh, at being okay. Um, and I come from a family where kids were first. I mean, Polish and Italian. I used to say I was the product of an Italian-Polish, Roman Catholic, sexist household, and I had a friend at the time who told me that was redundant. Uh, so I simplified it. I took everything very seriously, too. Like, I had a furrowed brow when I was four because life was serious, and I had a brother and a sister by then. My mother had three babies in 35 months with a miscarriage between the second two, and she can walk around today and talk about it without babbling. I'm impressed. I had three kids in five years. I wanted to stab myself, <laughs> like, at least once a week, uh, especially doing them by myself. Um, so, anyway, uh, life was intense <laughs> when I was young because it was my job. And today, I have to work at making a furrowed brow. You know what I mean? I, it, life is too short. And actually, once I hit fi- once you hit 50, forget about it. It's a whole different perspective. Um, I, I even cut, like, all my hair off. I curly hair people thought was natural was perms. And I, I even cut my hair. I had it so short. It was like I was trying to get rid of everything from the first half a century, so that the second one can be totally different, you know what I mean? Um, I took a lot of crap from a lot of people for a lot of years because I thought I deserved it. Uh, I spent a lot of time with my kids starting out with, I don't deserve, then it went to, I deserve, and then it went to, excuse me, there's the door. (laughs) I won't let anybody put me down, attack me, dump their stuff on me. I used to think that was my job, and I would process it for them and straighten them out for a while and do I don't deserve that kind of treatment. It took me a long time in here to understand that. Um, so anyway, back to Mr. Wonderful. I always like to say that we felt in need. Okay, there, I did. I love. I, there was love. There's no two ways about it. But I desperately needed to be needed, and he desperately needed to be taken care of. And it appeared to be a match made in heaven, and we ended up in hell. And I couldn't figure out how that happened. Um, because I was doing a great job. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and I knew that. Um, so it was very confusing. Uh, and like I said, well, I was pregnant with the third child, but we were together 12 years. And I remember my sponsor saying, um, well, if it took you, you know, if it took you 12 years, you know, with the, it's going to take you at least 12 years to get to the other side. If it took you, you know, 30 years to get crazy, give yourself 30 years to get uncrazy. What are you going to do by Thursday? Well, sure. I read the whole one day at a time book. In one night, just in case they were going to give me a pop quiz. I didn't want them to think I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> because I was terrified, absolutely terrified. Um, but anyway, when I did let go of my marriage, I realized I was letting go of an illusion more than anything else. Um, the one gentleman, uh, speaker, he, uh, I mean the taper, he was going to put a bowling pin on my thing and it wouldn't stick. And uh, he says, because I know you would have hit him with that. I said, oh, no, you don't understand. We each had levels of rage that were so... Now, he put his out there more because he was a boy. He could do that. Girls weren't allowed to do that. So mine got worse and worse. But he saw it. I only pulled a knife on him once uh, just because I wanted him to leave. I had his kids. I am um, the second wife. And from the first marriage, I had two stepkids. They were staying at my house. 
and uh, I took care of them. Then I had three kids with him. Well, they were sleeping in the living room, and my oldest son was a baby, and he'd come in. You know how you, I'd stay dressed for three days in case the cops called, or I'd be in my pajamas for three days because I didn't care. You know what I mean? Uh, and I would flip and flop, and he'd come home, and I just wanted him to leave. And he wouldn't leave, and we ended up in the kitchen. And all I know is I just blinked. And the next thing I knew, I had a knife in my hand, and he was sizing me up. And even though he was, he was a little guy, married a redheaded Irishman, by the way, trying to escape the Italian insanity. Let me tell you what, it was worse. It was unknown territory, and uh, he was an oldest child. I swore I would never marry an oldest child because both my parents were, and I've apologized for that, and so has he. We've also apologized for our genetic contributions <laughs> individually. Uh, we have great kids. Yes, they have issues. Yes, they have problems, but they have a better shot than most people do because I was dragged in here totally against my will. Um, we ran away, Romeo and Juliet style. We just forgot to take the poison. Uh, would have saved our children for everything. My daughter just recently was going through her thing, and she would, she said something to me. We were, we were into an argument. We have a great relationship, but it's out there. And uh, and she said something. I said, oh, of course it's my fault. She, like, if I didn't meet her dad and she wouldn't be here, then she wouldn't have these problems. And I, I said, I was suicidal most of my life. I had suicidal thoughts. but uh, And I thought everybody did until I met people who didn't. But I looked at her and I said, look, I'm the oldest. It's all my fault. So what? What's your point? <laughs> you know? I don't accept that anymore. I don't accept unacceptable behavior. I, acceptance is not approval um, either. I have to accept things I don't like. Um, and that's okay because it ends up giving me peace of mind. Uh, peace of mind is something I never had. Uh, the first time I felt serenity in a meeting, just a little piece of it, it, I panicked. <laughs> like, I, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, and I just came, and I didn't talk, and I, I was so shut down, which is the reason we didn't kill each other. Because if anybody, I mean, with the knife thing, when he sized me up, I saw him look in my eyes, and today I know that what he saw was the Calabrese fire coming up in the back, and he put his hands up, and he backed up, and he went out the door. That's all I wanted. And that's the only time we had an incident like that. He was drinking, and he was cross-addicted. He was into it pretty heavy. He left, and I went to sleep, and that was it. Because deep down, we knew that if we got into it, we'd have killed each other. We would have absolutely killed each other. And then my kids would have been, what, wards of the court? My parents would have had to raise them. So thank God for denial. Uh, one of my favorite things. Some days I pray for it to come back because... <laughs> I don't know which rock and roll guy it is. I think it's the boss. He says, I wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. And there are days when that sounds real appealing, but I know that it's not, and it's not good for me. But there's a denial joke I heard years ago. There's a priest, a rabbi, and an Elon person all died the same day, and they're in the waiting room of hell. And they're trying to figure out why they're there. So the rabbi's thinking, thinking, and he realizes at one time he ate pork because he wanted to know what the big deal was. And the priest admits to himself that he had the sins of the flesh. He had sex with someone. And the unknown person said, this is not hell and I am not hot. <laughs> That's how I live my life. <laughs> Nose to the grindstone, got to get it done. Ta -da. We're the best survivors. We're the ones that make it. And like Chuck Walters, who I miss terribly every day uh, since he died, he taught me. Many, many things, uh, including the fact that everything, everything that we did before we came here, and he'd look over at me and he'd say, everything, even if it included murdering somebody, if that's what it took to get us through these doors to learn how to live a better way of life, 
So be it. Um, forgiving myself was, was the, that's what it was. I couldn't accept that I was as crazy as I was. <laughs> because the longer you come into these rooms, the crazier you realize that you are. Uh, when I came in, I had no resentments <laughs> against anyone um, or anything. And every day I came, and the more I thawed out, that's I see recovery as a thawing out process, uh, the more I felt things, the more it was coming to the surface. I mean, believe me, you can't run from it uh, at that point. Um, Alcoholism in the family disease. A lot of disease and, and no name for it, no understanding of it, especially in my home because there wasn't even an alcoholic to point the finger at that it could be their fault. So it was all my fault. That's I was the scapegoat in the family. Uh, and I did it well. When I stopped doing it, they tried using my brother for a minute. I think he lasted three months. I lasted 38 years. <laughs> so they were used to tougher competition. Um, and because of that, I mean, it made me stronger. It made me more determined. It made, mostly for other people, though. Uh, today, I've learned how to be my own best friend. Uh, somebody told me the way I take care of other people, if you think a nice Italian girl does it, you ought to try one that's half Polish, too. She'll beat anybody in taking great care of you. But I wasn't taking care of myself, and I had to learn how to do that. Uh, and people in here loved me till I could love myself. How I got here, my neighbor, my sister-in-law at the time, uh, like I said, his brother got him into AA. She took me to workshop. She gave me literature. I'm reading her forums, and I'm like, oh, my God. I can't believe what these people are living with. This is insane. And I was living with it and had no clue. Um, it just hadn't gotten that bad yet. And uh, she took me to a workshop. And I still remember this woman up there talking, and I was so embarrassed for her because she was up there telling all her business to this whole room full of people, which I swore I'd never do. And what she said was, when the devil was about to take you, he assumes the form of someone you love, and he mixes just enough truth with the lies to suck you in. And what, what better tool to use than me against myself? Because I know all my weaknesses. I can take myself down faster than anybody can. And, uh, and that's where, for me, alcoholism, the family disease, is a disease of darkness and fear. Which is why the answer is light and love. And that's what was in these rooms. And that's why I ran out of here twice, because I couldn't take it. These people just, un they accepted me. Why? If they knew me, if they knew what I had done or how I think, they wouldn't hug me. They wouldn't sit next to me. You know what I mean? And then one day I come in to a room I've been going to, and this woman said, oh, you don't seem so angry today. And I'm like, well, how do you know? I didn't tell you. What are you. Why are you talking to me? I mean, like, you know, today I'm really grateful for the people who sat next to me week after week. But I didn't stay till the third time. I left twice. Um, and when I came back the third time, that's, that's when Chuck Walters, who was, you know, the man at the meeting, been there many years, he came up and talked to me? Why did he do that? He said, are you new? I said, no. He said, I think I've seen you here before. I said, no. <laughs> I'm not new because I didn't want people taking advantage of me, not knowing what was going on. Uh, that moment changed my way of thinking. And then there was a woman there, Jeannie B., who was so funny. And I came back every week just to hear what she had to say because I knew it was going to be good. And uh, so anyway, eventually, we, like I said, we did the Romeo and Juliet thing. We ran away. Um, and my family went insane. And they said he had a gun to my head. And I was 19. I knew everything. But the bottom line is he saved my life. He got me out of there because I know in my heart that I would have been dead at my own hand probably by 21. 
Um, I was already going through heavy-duty stuff with that in my teenage years. And what was the use of living? You know what I mean? And taking care of everybody, you can't make people happy. You give, you sacrifice yourself to make people happy, and it doesn't work. And I walked into a friend's house one day, and I see on the refrigerator the sign that says, helping people can be a very dangerous thing. Even the Lone Ranger wore a mask, had two six-guns, and rode his horse out of there as fast as he could. Uh, I was like, uh, and I was in long enough, you know, to understand and really appreciate that, uh, because that's today, I, I don't necessarily wear a mask, but uh, two six-guns and a horse, yeah, <laughs> like if I'm going to go. Uh, but see, today I know who I am, and here they told me I just needed to be who I was, and that was difficult to find, and that's where recovery should be called uncovery, discovery, because... As everything was uncovered, I discovered what I lost in the first place. Because recovery is actually finding something again. And that was me, the real me. When I'm centered within myself, I have peace of mind, I have serenity, I have, and laughter and perspective. But when I am self-centered, uh, when self-pity was killing me, I thought it was my mother and I thought it was my ex-husband. But uh, it was self-pity, uh, which I thought was love. Because if I pitied you and I thought it was love, because we confuse that, it felt like love. It felt better than the self-abuse, self-loathing, the need for self-annihilation that I finally got in touch with at some point. Um, and the people in here who loved me just turned that all around. God, God's message was always lighten up and let people love you. You know, you don't deserve this. And I just at some point had to trust somebody. In my home, you didn't trust, you didn't feel, you didn't talk. My mother could be all the way at the other end of the house. And if somebody had a feeling, she'd come in and stomp it out. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Don't get too excited. Don't get angry. Don't get, you know, when you're Italian, please. You know what I mean? Stuff is potent. Um, if I, I always tell people, I talk with my hands a lot. I'm not doing it here. It's cool. But people grab my hands and I stop talking. And I'm only half Italian. And I said, if I was full-blooded, I'd be smacking out on myself. You know what I mean? Let alone the people around me. Um, my children look Irish. But they talk Italian with their face, their bodies, their hands, their dancers. Their, you know what I mean? Like, they, you can tell they were raised by me and my family. I also had my family backing me up as a single parent. We had dinner every other Sunday. My dad was the Italian patriarch. His birthday was a national family holiday. Uh, and it was very cool. I mean, he was up there with the grandkids teaching them the tarantella. He's like, in his I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? You're going to have a heart attack. And he said, i got to get this Italian stuff in there before it's too late. Because me and my sister both married Irishmen. He had grandkids with Irish last names. Just shook his head. Because my grandpa, well, they had a thing, the Irish and the Italians. And my aunt told me one time, whatever you do, don't marry an Irishman. And God forbid he's a redhead. And I did both. And he was an oldest child, which topped it off. So coming into these rooms... It's been an adventure. I have learned so much about life, let alone myself, and uh, and the ability to be positive. I, my children are in so much pain. That's how I gauge my recovery. Somebody said that over the weekend. When you see what shape your children are in, uh, a lot of honesty, a lot of stuff. We have great relationships today. My, my oldest son called for me to teach him how to drive. We've been estranged for many years. That was a miracle that just happened. Uh, my youngest son finally got himself involved in some music stuff that he's got some direction in, and he's doing it. And uh, my step my stepson, well, my, my daughter is, is doing her thing. She just had a terrible injury this year. I lived with her this year, and I'm so glad she moved, um, because she moved in with a friend. She's in much better shape. I'm in much better shape, because I got my life back. I got my home back for myself. It was a war zone for years with my sons with their alcohol and drug addiction. I used to sleep with my money and my keys in a pouch, 
But one of the things that I learned was I had to put myself first 100%. The pain of my sons having this disease was a hundred times, a thousand times what it was with, with him. And I was not prepared for that. Um, but we've always had a good time. We uh, Music therapy, movie therapy. I brought my kids up. When everything would get crazy, I'd throw music on and everybody would just do their thing. Um, we treated each other with respect and, and courtesy. My kids were exposed to Al-Anon meetings and picnics and for all their lives. People treated them well, so they have a higher level of expecting to be treated better. When you're not treated well in your own life, you don't think you should be. And, uh, and I just, we go dancing. This is, I couldn't stand serenity. The first time I felt serenity inside of myself in my home, I jumped up and grabbed the sweeper and started sweeping the rug and making noise because I didn't know what to do with it. Eventually, I ended up in yoga class. I mean, Nobody could believe I could stay still that long. Um, but I started doing things that were good for me. Yoga class, all these dances. There's a bunch of us in the rooms, been going out dancing together for almost 20 years. You know, we're single, we're coupled, everybody was doing it. changes all the time, but we do that. All these dances, all these music, symphony music, yoga has kept me out of prison, you know, for many years because there's all, it's always an option. It was always an option to just flip out and lose it. Didn't do that. Uh, thanks to the people who love me, thanks to the God who loves me, and the gratitude, the open-mindedness, and the detachment with love from the effects of this disease on me. Um, and now today, my God is a God of second chances and surprises over and over again, and it's about grace, opportunities, and a desire to live a better life. And if you don't remember anything else, don't be your own worst enemy. Give somebody else a chance, and then work your program on it. Thanks.